So when I was in grade two or three, I can't remember which, I do have a memory of this girl in our class. She actually, she actually sat right behind me in the days when, you know, desks were lined up in a row and it was usually girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. I think that was probably for discipline reasons. I'm not sure. Anyway, this girl, her name was Sylvia, if she's watching. I highly doubt it, but it's possible. Anyway, everything you would say to her, at least everything I would say to her, I'd turn around, I can't remember if she sat in front of me or right behind me, one or the other. I would tell her things and she would say, I doubt it. <laughs> Didn't matter what I said to her, I doubt it. Now, I don't know if it was just me or she did this to everybody. And perhaps God was preparing me for the pastoral ministry, I'm not sure. <laughs> I say, hey, uh, our family, tell her like Friday, our family is going to Storybook Gardens in London on Saturday. I doubt it. <laughs> so I couldn't leave it at that. When we got back on Monday to school, I'd be like, hey, our family went to Storybook Gardens in London on Saturday. I doubt it. <laughs> it's just, just aggravated me. But anyway. We call her, we would call that type of person a doubting Thomas. You all know. There's a disciple by the name of Thomas who is infamous for the wrong reasons, I think. Uh, of the two disciples that are kind of known worldwide, or at least outside of Christianity, Thomas is one of them. Judas is the other. And Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20 this morning? Interesting thing is that this disciple by the name of Thomas is only mentioned by John. And John mentions him four times. It's possible, although I, we can't be certain, that the reason that John particularly records the matters of Thomas is because somewhere between 70 and 90 AD there was a spurious gospel written by the name of Gos the Gospel of Thomas. Some of you may have heard of this. It was a Gnostic heretical gospel which did not contain truth. And it was credited to Thomas as the author. In fact, it was repopularized during the the movie, The Da Vinci Code, mentions the Gospel of Thomas. So, since John wrote a little bit later than that, it's highly probable that John included Thomas, while all the other writers did not, to um, write against this spurious gospel and make the point that Thomas, in fact, was very orthodox in his understanding of things. Now, the reason I say that Thomas, I think, has not received the proper accolades by being known only as Doubting Thomas is because in the four occurrences, and particularly three of the occurrences, Thomas is shown in a very, very good light. And in fact, those who know their history, uh, church history, will know that Thomas, 
uh, went to India and evangelized the country of India. In fact, Thomas, of all the disciples, is quite revered in India in the Christian community. Uh, the disciples, as we understand it, divided up the world in terms of following the Great Commission of Christ to follow the ancient spice and, and uh, um, trails, the routes from the ancient Near East to the Far East, spice silk routes. And it appears that Thomas drew India. And he went down through Parthia, which is Iraq, Iran, and also has been credited with some evangelism of China itself, but mostly in India. He was called the twin, Didymus. You know, in looking at him, perhaps he was called the twin because he looks like Pastor Nick. I'm not sure, but that, that's possible. It's a, apparently, uh, Thomas planted churches, planted seven churches. He went to uh, the Malabar coast in the west of India. And as um, ancient writers have recorded, Thomas was martyred while he was praying. He went to India in, in AD 52, and he was martyred while he was praying near Madras in AD 72 and was buried in Mylapur, India. Later his remains were taken to Italy, Artona, Italy, his skull in Patmos, and his fingers to Iraq. The fingers of Thomas were very important, as we're going to note in the scriptures. But doubting Thomas was actually unbelieving Thomas, as we learn in the scripture. So let's look at the text. Verse 24 of John 20, now Thomas called Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Remember that last week we talked about the disciples on Easter Sunday evening when Jesus appeared in the room with them. This is now one week later. The disciples are still locked in lockdown, which is why I, one of the reasons I said to you, I don't believe they were filled with the Holy Spirit in that, that uh, appearance of Jesus because they remained terrified in lockdown. And now Thomas wasn't with them for whatever reason, we don't know. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Shalom Aleichem. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now your translation probably says stop doubting and believe, but it really says stop unbelieving and believe. Because it's this, the word we use for in, in the original, 
pistis, which is faith, apistis, stop unfaithing or stop unbelieving and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written You've heard of the people of Israel murmuring? <laughs> that was an example of it. But it was a good murmur. It was a good murmur that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's our key verse for this study. We'll look at that. Father, thank you so much for your word. This is so rich to our hearts today, so rich to our souls, so necessary to us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would do your work in our lives, do your work, do your powerful work, do your faith strengthening work, do your salvation work, oh God, I pray. For your great name's sake, for the glory of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So, Doubting Thomas is actually unbelieving Thomas. So what happened that Thomas, the unbeliever, became Thomas, the determined evangelist of India? So much so that there's a Feast of Thomas on July 3rd still in, in, in India. So what happened? From saying... Uh, uh, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers in his side, I will not believe. To my Lord and my God. Well, he encountered the risen Christ. That's what happened. He encountered the risen Christ. Stop doubting, Thomas. Stop unbelieving. Stop unfaithing and believe. Be faithing. I, I need to pause here for a second and remind you of something that I taught you before. It's, it's important for you to understand in the scriptures. Um, the word, when you read the word believe in your New Testament, you're almost always reading the word faith. Almost always. But faith is a noun and not a verb. And you can't change faith into a verb. It's, so, in the translation, so, so, you believe, believe is a verb, but the word is really faith. So when you go to John 3, 16, for instance, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, which is a verb, an action, and we have a concept of believe, but the real word there is whoever faiths. Whoever is faithing in Jesus. Not just believing in that he exists or is, because then demons would be saved. 
It's very important for us to understand that when we're reading believe, there's a context to it, there's prepositions that go with it, there's a little complication, but, but it's easy for us to understand that most often when we are reading the word believe in our Bibles, believing on God, believing on Jesus, believing the message, it's the word faith that you are entrusting, you are putting your trust in this, you are relying on this. You're not just believing it exists or is real, you're actually entrusting your life to this. You see this? Because a lot of people say, oh, I believe in God. (laughs) So do the demons. Only fools don't believe in God. God's not impressed that you believe in God. Do you, you understand that? Because it's like, it's like being impressed that you believe in the sun or the moon. You're not impressed by that. Anybody impressed by that? No. God's not impressed that you believe in him. But it matters that you have faith in him. There's a huge difference. So when Jesus is talking to Thomas, He's not talking to him that you, you, you don't believe I exist, Thomas. You're not believing in me. You're not entrusting your life to me. You're not trusting in me. Okay? This is where we're at. We'll come back to this because I'm going to drill into this a lot today because I want to make sure we get this. I've said this before. We've taught this before. But we need to understand when Thomas looks at him and says, my Lord and my God. Now, Thomas, now you're faithing in me. Let me, let me continue to unpack this for you. So the question for today for us, for those listening, are you believing the way Jesus called on Thomas to believe? What believing did Thomas lack? Let's look at this. Why was Jesus claiming that Thomas was unbelieving? What exactly was he not believing? What exactly was Thomas not believing that defined him in Jesus' eyes as an unbeliever? Because that's what he's saying to him here. Well, let's look. Thomas did not lack belief in the reality of Jesus and was in fact fully committed to him, loyal to him, and fearless to him. This is what John points out. In John chapter 11, verse 16, remember when, Lazarus, when Jesus got uh, word that Lazarus was dying, that Lazarus was sick and, and dying? And the disciples were like, well, what, you know, what are we gonna do? Are gonna? And, and they were like, well, we can't go to Jerusalem. You're, you're, you know you're gonna die if we go to Jerusalem. Who was it that spoke up at that moment and said, let's go, and die with Jesus. It was Thomas. Let me, John eleven sixteen. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Thomas did not lack belief in Jesus, was committed to him, was loyal to him, was fearless in getting involved in whatever Jesus was doing. Thomas would be here at Calvary every time the church was open. Thomas would be there. Thomas would volunteer for the hard and the risky work. 
count me in. In fact, Thomas went with Jesus and witnessed the rising from the dead of Lazarus. It wasn't that he hadn't seen someone come to life from death. And yet in that state, Jesus called him an unbeliever. Thomas was courageous enough to speak up when he didn't understand something that Jesus was teaching. In John 14, 5, when the disciples were, had been told repeatedly that Jesus was going away and they were ver getting very troubled and Jesus said to him, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you. That where I am, there you may be also. Thomas speaks up and says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? So Thomas was courageous enough to speak up when he didn't understand what Jesus meant. Where and wanted to know how to get to where Jesus was going. The church is filled with sincerely curious people like Thomas. Especially about last things. Oh, pastor, please teach us about last things. We want to know, is it premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, pre-tribulationalism, mid-tribulationalism, post-tribulationalism? When are we going? When's the trumpet going to sound? What, what, where are we going? Where's heaven? To that one, Thomas, who asked those questions, Jesus called him an unbeliever. When Jesus answered him by saying, I'm the way, Thomas, the truth and the life. Evidently, I don't think it registered with him at all. People love to increase their spiritual knowledge. What believing did Thomas lack? Well, third, um, Thomas wasn't prepared to listen to the accounts of his eyewitness brothers which is a little bit disturbing since the rest of us throughout history have to listen to them. Generations. Nor had he really believed what Jesus had been saying repeatedly would happen. That Jesus would die and rise again was not something they should not have heard about. But before we jump all over Thomas, check back in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 8 and 9. So the other disciple who had first, this is coming to the tomb knew now, so the other disciple on Easter Sunday, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So when Jesus looked at Thomas and said, stop unbelieving, a week before he could have looked at all of the disciples and said the same thing. Guys, stop unbelieving. You're acting like unbelievers. You're unbelievers. 
It's interesting because it appears that with Thomas not being there at the first appearance on Easter Sunday evening that Thomas's homies reached out to him. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was so distraught that he couldn't even gather with the guys. Or maybe he didn't want to be in a cluster with them. It would be easier to find them all. Maybe he was holed up somewhere, hiding out somewhere else by himself. At any rate, they knew where he was and they found him. And they went and got him and they told him that they had seen the risen Lord. And he told them, I'm not going to believe unless I can see the nail prints in his hands and the spear mark in his side. Which was only a week old. The marks in his hands and the spear mark in his side. So Thomas wasn't believing the way Jesus requires of those who really belong to him. So what is it? What was it that he was not? Now when Jesus stood before him and showed him his nail-scarred hands and his wounded side, I'm not sure, I, I've, as I read through this several times and just thought about the emotion of the moment, I would have lost it. I would have lost it. To think of what my Savior went through for me. So Thomas is there, Jesus appears, the door doesn't open, Jesus just appears right in front of him and tells him in so doing by showing him his hands and his side, saying, give me your fingers and reach here. But Thomas, I, I know what you said. Jesus knows every single thing we say or think. And he doesn't come in and comes in and tenderly shows him. And I don't think this was an angry scolding by Jesus. I think this was full of the heart of a loving God who said, Thomas, this way, stop unbelieving and believe. And Jesus makes that same appeal in that same way to us today. Stop unbelieving and believe. Well, what, what was the core essence of what Jesus was requiring of Thomas to believe. Thomas was not believing the centerpiece of salvation theology. Thomas was not believing in the suffering, sacrificial, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lamb of God necessary to take away the sins of the world. 
Because he said, I, I, unless I see it, I'm not, believing in the re- I'm not believing in the resurrection of Jesus. The nature of salvation belief, the salvation, the belief that Jesus welcomes as saving faith, believes that Jesus died, was buried, rose again to take our sins, the penalty of our sins on our behalf, that we might be saved by believing and entrusting our lives to Him. Otherwise, if this was not the case, if Jesus just died and was buried, then Jesus was just another itinerant prophet preaching a message of an unsatisfied God, an unpropitiated God, a God whose wrath had not been taken away because of absorbed by Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. That's why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless because you are still dead in your sins. This is what was necessary. God in Christ was making peace with mankind possible. God is not impressed that people believe in God. It just makes people more responsible for what they believe. So, let's understand again, I wanna wanna remind you again, belief is, is something you simply take to be true. But what Jesus is calling on is faith. And faith involves reliance, trust, survives your doubts. Doubts can't get in the way of faith, but they can get in the way of belief. Doubts can't get in the way of faith, but they can get in the way of belief. There's a distinction. Thomas was believing that Jesus was real and the things that he, were, was do, he was believing in the things that he was doing, but he was not trusting in the truth about having to have faith in Jesus, to experience the saving life that only Christ could give him. Thomas was not really believing in who Jesus was and why that mattered. So, I want you to see here that you can believe in something but not trust in it. Okay, let me give you an example here. Every Sunday I come up here and I believe that this is a chair. And I I believe that this chair can hold me up if I sit on it. But there's only one way I can prove that I actually really believe it, right? Yes, to say, oh yeah, you believe on it, but is to actually sit down on it. Now, for a while, these guys were giving me a stool that was very wobbly. <laughs> and I noticed, I went looking for it, and it appears that they've strengthened, the boys around here have strengthened everything, because I would sit on this thing, and it would, it would rock around, and I was like every Sunday thinking, I believe it's a stool, I'm not sure I have faith in it. 
But I'm going to sit down anyway and just try and balance, do the balance act. But having faith is actually sitting on the stool. You can believe in Jesus, but unless you entrust your life to him, trust in him by faith that he has taken your sins to the cross, and by believing in him you can have life in his name, you are not saved. You are not, you are still unbelieving. So who is Messiah, Thomas? Is he just a political liberator of a proud but oppressed people? A charismatic leader of a social reform, an activist to reignite unstoppable momentum in the Davidic kingdom reinstatement? Is that who he is? Because by the way, if that's all he is, in none of these, thing, in none of these scenarios, by believing that, are you in better space with God? Jesus didn't come to be a political liberator. He didn't come to be some sort of social activist. He didn't come to be a spectacular preacher or to do nice things. Believing that does not put you in any good position with God. You're, no, you're in no better shape with God. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on a cross for our sins, the perfect sinless son of God, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, absorbing the wrath of God so that we might have peace with God for all eternity. So, how do we know that we have faith in God? How do we know that we have faith in Christ? our fruit in our lives. I heard Pastor Kelvin say this maybe a year, years ago. That for him, he was wrestling with the authenticity of his faith and trust in Christ. If I haven't, you know, I'm not representing you right, brother. You're going to have the platform for quite a while. You can fix it all up anyway. <laughs> but what you said, I think, if I remember correctly, was there is no good explanation for why I believe what I believe and why I'm living the way I'm living in response and obedience to Jesus Christ. There's no reason other than that I truly have received salvation from Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's the truth. That's the fact. There's no other explanation for why we would respond to Jesus Christ and obey his teachings then that we have faith in him, we've placed our lives in him, we've entrusted ourselves to him. In that very conversation that Thomas had with Jesus about Jesus going away to, to make a place for them and he's wondering what's going on, Jesus said in that very conversation, believe in God, believe also in me. That word that he says there is faith, pistis. Have faith in God. Have faith also in me. Now there is no Jewish preacher who would ever say, have the same faith in God as you have in me and actually live to preach another day. When Jesus made that statement, we may, may not have picked up on that. that, that statement in itself is, Jesus was saying, the same faith you have in Almighty God, have in me. 
Now, he said that because he is God. So when Jesus is saying now to, to he, says, he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what does this believing, blessed of God reality look like? Who is the Messiah? Who, who is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying when he's saying, stop unbelieving, stop unfaithing, stop not having faith in me, Thomas. Your soul is in peril. And, Je- and, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas, confession of faith. Perhaps the, the greatest apologetic of Jesus in all of the Gospels is right here. In fact, I don't think perhaps it is. There is no clearer statement of the divinity of Jesus Christ in the Gospels than that one right there. My Lord and my God. In fact, John picks up again as, as he quotes from the 24 elders in heaven, proclaiming in Revelation 4.11... Of, of Jesus, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. This is the proclamation, beloved, out of heaven itself, John records in the vision that he had. That self-disclosure of Jesus Christ as the 24 elders looking into the future proclaim who Christ is. And John 1.1 at the very beginning of the book, and the word was God. What was Thomas unbelieving What were they unbelieving? What were they not grasping? They were not grasping who Jesus is. Jesus. As Beasley Murray writes, this is the most most outrageous doubter of the resurrection of Jesus, utters the greatest confession of the Lord who rose from the dead. So who is Messiah? Messiah has come. John, remember, John is writing to a very Jewish audience. Yes, there are Gentiles in his audience, but John is writing to a very Jewish audience. That's why the Gospel of John deep dives into the Old Testament so much. And here again, what is John wanting us to know? He wants us to know who Messiah is. He wants the Jews to know who Messiah is. He wants the JWs to know who Messiah is. He wants the Mormons to know who Messiah is. He wants Christians to know who Messiah is. Messiah is Jesus, the son of David, the son of Mary from Nazareth, fully man. Messiah is Jesus, the son of God, sent from the Father, from heaven, fully God. Messiah is fully man. Messiah is fully God. And his name is Jesus. Now John picks up on what Jesus said when he said, you know, Thomas, this is great. Blessed. Because you have seen me, you have believed. That's great. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. Jesus uttered a special blessing on you and me in that text, in that statement. Blessed are we. We haven't seen, but we believe. And John, and John says, therefore, Jesus did many other miracles, but this is why I have written this book. This is why I've written this book. Because you're not going to have the same experience. The people, that, when John's writing in AD 90, roughly, Jesus is long gone to heaven, and the audience that he has are not going to see Jesus until the day they look at him face to face in glory. And John says, this is why I've written this book. Therefore, this is why I've written this book. There are many other miraculous things that Jesus did. And I selectively picked out the things that I wanted to write by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm telling you these stories. And this is why I'm telling you about Thomas. As Carson writes, blessed are those who cannot share Thomas's experience of sight, but who in part because they read of Thomas's experience come to share in Thomas's faith. That's it. I wrote this, John says, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Blessed are those who not seeing but reading believe. We get to read. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This apostolic teaching that's been handed down to us is the words of Christ. It is the word of God. It is a powerful word to us. Unlike some modern and ancient scholars who try to suggest that, that, that you don't need the Bible to believe in Jesus, they're wrong. They're wrong. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith based on sight will give way to those who by faith based on testimony, are blessed. So let me wrap this up this morning with this all-important question. It's a life-changing question. It's a destiny question. And I don't take anything for granted in the same way that Jesus took nothing for granted in his disciples. Are you believing or are you unbelieving? Because that's the question. Are you believing or unbelieving? Because, beloved, let's face historic facts. The resurrection of Jesus is undeniable. People say, oh, the apostles lied. The biblical writers are liars. This is the most incredibly complex lie 
that has ever existed if it's a lie. 40 different authors over 1,500 years with full continuity of a message held together with no holes. And for them to have lied, we have to then believe that they actually knew they lied. So Thomas trottles off to India, leaving everything behind to chase after a lie that he knew was a lie and died at the end of a spear tip while he was praying. To believe this is a lie or that these guys knew it was a lie and risked their lives and died anyway is, requires more faith than believing in the gospel itself. So I'm, I'm not buying it. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is undeniable. Here's the thing. Here's what's at issue. It's not whether it's true or not. What is, issue, what is at issue is whether or not you prefer to live unbelieving or believing. It's not whether it's true or not. It's whether or not you want it to be true in your life. It's not whether or not there's enough evidence. It's whether or not you want to believe the evidence that exists. And here, here's the issue. It's whether or not you believe it's necessary for your life. See, an alive Jesus requires a decision about how you live. It's not whether or not there is an alive Jesus. It's whether or not you want to live for this living Jesus. An existing savior requires my attention concerning from what I need to be saved. If, if Jesus is true and died on a cross, then, and we talk about salvation, I, I've got to come to terms with what do I need to be saved from? And the truth of the matter is, I need to be saved from my sin. And at question is not whether that's true or not. At question is whether or not I want to give up my sin. Or whether I like it so much that I refuse to give up my sin. And your sin and Jesus can't coexist. It's one or the other. A holy God who made an extreme sacrifice over sin requires you to acknowledge that sin is a big deal to God. In terms of the question of believing or un unbelieving, you have to decide who will pay for your sin. Either Jesus or you. If you're unbelieving, you get to pay for your sin for all eternity. If you're believing, Jesus pays for your sin. It's never really about truth, is it? But rather really about inconvenient truth. And the gospel's very inconvenient, but very necessary. So can you keep living in denial? Because it's not whether or not this is true. It's what you want to do with the truth. 
So there may be some who say, you know, you're right. That's exactly how I've been living. I've been unbelieving. But I want to believe. No more unbelieving for me. Let me give you an easy to understand invitation. It's ABC. It's this. You want to believe? A, accept. Accept what the Bible says about Jesus as fact. Accept it. Receive it. Welcome it. B, believe on Jesus personally. Not that he just exists. We all know that's historic reality. The demons believe he exists. Trust in him. Believe faith in him. Faith in Jesus. That Jesus is necessary for you. That you need him. That you need your sins forgiven by a savior. That you've not been living according to God's standard of life morally or spiritually. Believe on Jesus. And see, commit yourself, your life to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. You heard testimonies in the baptistry this morning. Pastor Kelvin's asked questions. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? And are you intending to commit to him for the rest of your life as your Lord? Because that's what, that's what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. You're it. I'm throwing my life into you. Make that commitment public. Get baptized. No more fence sitting. Jesus says, stop unbelieving and believe. Our Father... I pray this morning on the basis of your invitation that extends to this Sunday, this hour, this minute with these people, with those listening away from us, those in the room, the invitation of Jesus, the powerful, gracious, wonderful, awesome, incredible invitation of the Son of God is for all of us. We're invited. Stop unbelieving and believe. Faith. Stop unfaithing and faith in Jesus. Entrust your life to Jesus is a call this morning. I pray, oh God, that you would save people today. Strengthen our faith, those who know you. Save those who don't know you, but now know you and now want to believe and will believe and trust themselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus stands in our midst this morning and points to his nail-scarred hands and the wound in his side and says to all of us, stop unbelieving and believe. Our Father, 
We thank you for the glorious truth of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life a sacrifice, died, buried, and rose again, now exalted to the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us and continuing to invite us to live by faith not be shaken our God cannot be moved he is the same today yesterday and forever and we praise you O God for your salvation so rich and so free and so gracious to us we love you in Jesus name Amen